Well, good morning. I'm glad that you are here today. <clears throat> this is the third week in a series called Revive Us Again. This series really grew out of a concern uh, that we're at a desperate time in America. Would you agree with that? We really are. Uh, we barely resemble the godly nation that we used to be. But if we're honest, it's not just our country that needs revival, it's our, our churches as well. 70% of the churches, of Southern Baptist churches in America today, 70% of them are plateaued or declining. But if we're really honest, gut level honest, it's not just the churches in our denomination that need revival, it is us. Our church needs to be revived. We need for God to revive us again. But if we get really, really, really honest, we'll have to admit that it's not just our church, it's you and it's me that we need revival. We need God to revive us again. So in today's message, I want to ask, how did we get here? How did we get here? How do you one day wake up and realize that your zeal for God is gone? How do you lose interest in God? I mean, think about that. How do you lose interest in God? Now, let me tell you a story. <clears throat> I think it illustrates how we got to where we are and how we can indeed lose interest in God. The story goes back to a long time ago to the nation of Israel in 80 or 860 B.C. 860 B.C., the nation was ruled by kings in that day. It's, first, it was ruled by a king named David. And, and a king named Solomon. And then eventually that kingdom, ruled by Solomon, was divided into two different kingdoms, had two different kings. The northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes, was called Israel, or the northern kingdom. And in 860 B.C., it was governed by a man named King Ahab. King Ahab was not a good man. He was not a good king. King Ahab was a, an ungodly man, an ungodly King. In fact, I want to show you a little bit about just a snapshot of what he's like. And go to First Kings chapter sixteen, if you will, quickly. First Kings chapter sixteen. In verse twenty nine through thirty three, just to give us a snapshot of the leader of the nation of Israel, or at least the northern tribes. Here's what we read about King Ahab. In the 38th year, verse 29, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, which is the other tribes in the nation of Israel, once the kingdom split, Ahab, son of Omri, <clears throat> became the king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now think about that for a moment. Of all the kings that Israel had, and some of them not very good, some of them pretty ungodly, Ahab had the distinction of being the one who did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any of the other kings before him. And then it says in verse 31, he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Now, make sure that sinks in for a moment. This is the king of God's people. 
This is the king of the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes. This is the king of Israel. And this king is now worshiping Baal and serving him. In fact, he goes on even further in verse 32 in his corruption. It says, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. So he built a temple for this pagan idol named Baal. And it says in verse 33, Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. Israel was a nation who had experienced the protection of God. They had experienced the blessings of God for generation after generation. They were God's chosen people. They were God's special people. But, but they were led away from God by an ungodly king and his ungodly wife into Baal worship. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about Baal worship before we get into the message. Baal was a, a pagan idol. Baal was the god who was considered to be in charge of the rain, and he manifests himself in the thunderstorms. Baal was the god of fertility. He was the god who helps your, your crops to grow. He was the god who sent rain, they believed. And so they worshipped Baal. They had these idols made in his image, and they would worship Baal, believing that, Bell would be the one who would provide <clears throat> what you needed for your crops. Now, the people of Israel knew that God was God. They knew that God was in charge of the rain. But when they got into the land of, of Canaan, and they heard the Canaanites talking about their God, Baal, and all that Baal had done, they began to listen a little bit. And when it would thunderstorm, and, and the thunder would roll, then they would say, do you hear that? You know what that is? That's Baal. That's Baal manifesting himself, manifesting his presence. And if you want your crops to grow, if you want family for your, uh, or food for your family, then you're going to worship him too. And so here's what you need to understand. They made a decision. It wasn't really a religious decision. It was more of a financial decision. It was more of a decision about their security, the financial security of their family. Well, well, here's what we'll do, they decided. We're not going to totally turn our back on God. We're just going to add Baal to our relationship with God. Now, the question is, how in the world did God's people get themselves into a situation like that? How in the world could God's people make such a decision? Well, if you'll fast forward the story with me for just a moment to chapter 18... We'll come back to chapter 18 in a minute, but I just want to jump into a verse real quickly just to give you a glimpse as to how they did this. Chapter 18, verse 18. Elijah meets Ahab sometime later, and again, we'll come back to this text. But it says in verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have, notice, notice this, get ready. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the bells. You have abandoned, therefore you have followed. The word abandoned means to forsake, it means to leave behind, it means to neglect or to desert. We're very familiar with abandoned buildings. Buildings that once were useful, buildings that once housed families or businesses, but now they are no longer useful. Now they are forsaken, now they are deserted, now they are forgotten, they are no longer of any use. And the Word of God says that the people of God got that way about God's Word. They no longer had any use for what God said. 
Did they believe what God said? Oh, probably. They'd probably say, yeah, I still believe God's Word. But they no longer had any practical use for God's Word. They abandoned it. They deserted it. And I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Once you abandon God's Word, be careful because you don't know what you're going to follow. I'm going to tell you something. Whenever you walk away from God's Word, you desert God's Word, you forsake God's Word, whenever you separate yourself from God's Word, suddenly there's an emptiness there in your life and you just don't know what you're going to fill it with. They filled it with the worship of Baal. Now, you know what I found? I found that many times we don't even realize that we've done that. We don't even realize that, that we have compromised our situation and our relationship with God. And you know what I found? Many times it takes a tragedy or a trial before we recognize we've put something in God's place. Many times it takes something really tragic to wake us up before we recognize I've put something in God's place in my heart and in my life. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. As they worship Baal, and by the way, let me see if you're listening, Baal was in, supposedly in charge of what? Charge of the rain, manifesting himself in, by the thunderstorm. As they worshipped Baal, guess what happened? The skies were strangely silent and dry for three and a half years. Let's pick up the story, chapter 17, verse 1. <clears throat> now Elijah the Tishbite from the Tishbe in the Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. You see, Israel had a major problem now. There'd be no dew, there'd be no rain for three plus years, three and a half years. Now, I want to tell you something. If you live in an agricultural society, you need rain. And if you live in an agricultural society and you have no dew and you have no rain for three and a half years, that means three things. It means drought, it means famine, and it means death. And God was sounding an alarm. God sent the drought, he sent the famine to sound an alarm, and all Israel heard it. But the problem that they had was not a drought problem. The problem that they had was a sin problem. And too often, ladies and gentlemen, we just look at the, at the problems and the symptoms of our problems, and we don't ever deal with the root problem. You see, your marriage problem might not be just a marriage problem. There might be a deeper problem there that you are neglecting. Your finances might not just be a financial problem. There might be a deeper problem there that you are neglecting. Those business problems, those family difficulties you're going through, that might just be a symptom of a much, much deeper problem in your relationship with God. So let's pick up the story and see what happens. Elijah has declared it will not rain until God says it's going to rain, and that's going to be several years. We pick up the story, chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, the famine was severe in Samaria. Isn't it interesting that the writer tells us the famine was severe in Samaria? Where did Ahab build his temple to Baal? In Samaria, exactly. And the famine was most severe in the place where Baal supposedly lived. 
skies were dry. The ground was parched, especially in Samaria. Now, we pick up the story. A meeting is set up between Elijah and Ahab. They haven't seen each other for three and a half years. A meeting is set up, and we pick up that story beginning in verse 17. When he, that is Ahab, saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the bells. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Imagine the scene, if you will, for a moment. People walking up the mountain, hundreds of them walking up the mountain. And Elijah standing at the top of the mountain waiting for them. And finally, when everybody gets there, when everybody gets settled, Elijah stood up and he asked the people a bold and a challenging question. And this is the heart of the message today, so make sure you get this verse. He asked them a bold and a challenging question, beginning in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. How long will you waver between two opinions? Now, you know what this is like if you're a married man. Now, listen carefully, men. Have you ever, guys, come on, help me now. You you get ready to say amen or that's right or preach it, okay? Guys, have you ever been in a restaurant and you have placed your order and your daughter placed her order and your son placed his order and now it's your wife's turn? And the waitress turns to your wife and says, what would you like? And she goes, what, what are you having? What, what, what did you order? What, what did you order? And the waitress looks at you. See, I'm not looking at my wife right now. The waitress, the waitress looks at you. And you look at the waitress and it's like... And, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and... And, and, and here, here's what you say. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Here's what you say next time. You ready, man? I'm going to help you. Here's what you say next time that happens. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the chicken is good, get it. If the steak is good, get it. How long will you waver? Make up your mind. Now, that's never happened to me, but I've heard about it happening to men like you. Just want to be sure you know that. Or, listen, if you are a sports fan, you know what this day is like. Signing day. Right? Signing day. This is South Carolina hat right here. And if you, in case you don't know what this is, this is championship orange right here. That's what that is. But on signing day, you got these college athletes. And these, these guys, especially the really, really good ones, you know, you got the best quarterback in the land, and, and all the blogs are, are debating where he's going. And somebody said, well, I, I saw his mom in the grocery store, and she had on, a, on an orange shirt, so I believe she's going, he's going to Tennessee. Somebody else in another blog said, I saw his fiancée and, and Kroger's and she had on a garnet shirt, so he must be going to South Carolina. 
Now, everybody's got their opinion, everybody's got their beliefs, and everybody's debating, where's he going to go? What's, and he's wavering between two decisions. He's trying to decide between Tennessee and South Carolina. Now, now don't, listen, I would have put Clemson here, I just didn't have a hat, so don't be hating on me, all right? So, so, so he's just trying to decide. He's, he's trying to say, am I going to go to South Carolina, or am I going to go to Tennessee? And he's debating, and he's talking to his coaches, and he's wavering between two opinions. And nobody knows where he's going to go. Everybody's trying to decide, and he's wavering, and eventually signing day comes. And he's got to make a decision. And he stands in front of the TV cameras and ESPN and his high school crowd and his family, and, and he looks at everybody, and he smiles, and he says, I've made my decision. I'm going to go to the University of Tennessee. <laughs> right? That's the way it goes, right? <laughs> I'll tell you something. Signing day has come for some of you. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver trying to decide who you're going to live for? Who you're going to serve? How long before you decide and declare, I'll follow God. He's the one I'm going to follow. You see, when you look at this story, there's something fascinating that he asked them. He says in verse 21 again, How long? How long? Will you waver? He's putting a a clear choice before the people and he's asking them, listen, it's been three and a half years. How long are you going to take? It's been three and a half years of, of drought. It's been three and a half years of famine. How much more are you going to have to go through? You've watched some of your family die. You've watched some of your, your cattle die. You've watched your crops be ruined. How long? How much more are you going to endure before you decide who you're going to follow? Then he says, if the Lord is God, follow him. The simplicity of that is fascinating to me. If the Lord is God, follow him. Listen, 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 listen. Don't miss this. He says, first of all, if the Lord is God, then follow him. Your conduct and your lifestyle ought to reflect the fact you believe God is God. You ought to live in such a way that it's evident that you believe God is God. In other words, you really believe that God is who he says he is, and you're trying to live it out in your daily life. If the Lord is God, stop playing church and follow him. But the thing that really fascinates me about that statement is this. He did not say, if you think it is advantageous to you, then follow God. He didn't say, if you think that God can make you happy, then follow him. He did not say, if you think that God can keep you out of hell, then follow him. He did not say, if you think God can give you peace of mind, then follow him. He simply said this, if God is God then follow him. Not if it's advantageous to you. But if he is who he says he is, then follow him. 
I'm going to be clear about something. I believe it is to your advantage to follow God. Right? Would you agree with that? I believe it is to your advantage to follow God, but that's not the reason you follow Him. You do not follow Him because of what it will help you do or what you'll get out of it. You follow Him because of who He is. If the Lord is God, He said, then follow Him. And He also, He did not say, if the Lord is the God of your parents, then follow Him. He said, if the Lord is God. If the Lord is God, then follow Him. He also did not say, If God has been good to you, then follow him. If life has been good for you, then follow him. If life has been fair and everything has happened well in your life, then follow him. That's not what he said. Because life's not always fair. Life's not always easy. And sometimes you've got all kinds of difficulties you can't ever explain and your heart is breaking. But he comes back to this question. If the Lord is God, follow him. Yeah, but what about, and I don't know why, and how about, that's not the issue. If the Lord is God, follow him. You say, Pastor, how do I get there? How do I get there? But first of all, he he said, verse 21, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. In other words, you got to sit down and you got to decide something. You got to decide which way you're going to go. You can't serve two masters. Jesus made that very clear. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and whatever else you want to put in that blank. Can't be done. You decide if you're going to serve God, period. So if the Lord is God, follow him. If you found something better than God, then follow that. That's what he's saying. And then, if you fast forward the story down to verse 30, let me tell you what happens in the story. Elijah said, okay, you think that your God is in charge of the rain and that your, your God manifests himself in the thunder. So let's do something. You take a bull and you slay it and you put it on an altar and you ask your God, you ask Baal to send fire to consume that uh, sacrifice. And then I'll do the same. And whoever's, whoever answers by fire, that's the one who really is God. Is it a deal? They said, that's a good idea. And in fact, I'm sure they thought, we got this in the bag. Because Baal is the God of fire, but Baal is the God of the thunderstorm. And so they, they cut up the bull, they built the altar, they, they put it on the altar, they cried out. In fact, it's fascinating all that they did. Let's just read a little bit of this. <clears throat> uh, Verse 26, so they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Talk about a prayer meeting. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and you you need to awaken him. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But I love this phrase. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. 
because there is no other God except our Lord God. Then Elijah said, verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, now this is, this is the part, my favorite part of the message. Then Elijah said to the people, come here. They went over to him. And, and look at verse 30. Did he say anything to them? In verse 30, did he say anything to them? No, he didn't. At least not at first. Here's what he did. L- look at verse 30. <clears throat> they came, but then Elijah said to all the people, come here, or come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Everybody watch up here, look up here. Here's what happened. After it was evident that Baal was no God at all, after it was evident that Baal couldn't do anything <clears throat> because he did not exist, Elijah said, oh, oh, come here, come here, come here. Y'all, y'all, come here, come here. And they all gathered around, and without saying a word, he bent over and he picked up the rocks and he started rebuilding that altar that had been laying there in ruins. That altar that had been broken. That altar that had not been used in a long time. And by his very actions, he was saying to the people, this is your problem. This is where it all went wrong. This is how you started worshiping Baal. Your altar is in ruins. And you didn't even care. After he rebuilt the altar, then he took his sacrifice and placed it on that altar. And that's when he dug the ditch around it. And he said, okay, now I'm getting ready to pray to my God and ask him to consume that with fire. But before I do that, somebody get some, a lot of water and pour it on it. And they did that. And I'm sure all the people were thinking, this guy's nuts. And he said, now, get that same amount of water, pour it on it a second time. And they did it again. And then he said, do it a third time. And they did it again. And they, they soaked the sacrifice in water so much that the ditch around the altar was filled with water. It was just all a wet mess. Then he says, now, I'm going to pray to my God. And I'm going to ask my God to send fire and consume that. Let's pick up the story. Verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, Answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. It's a beautiful phrase, that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And look at verse 39. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. That's my prayer for you today. My prayer for you today is that you decide the Lord, He is God. I don't know what it's going to take for God to turn your heart around. I don't know what it's going to take for the fire to fall in your life, but I pray it does. I pray it does. 
that in the midst of, of all that you're going through, I pray that God would show you the emptiness of God and something else. The emptiness of trying to live part-time for God. The foolishness of thinking that I can find pleasure and satisfaction in anything other than God. As it says in this verse, I think it was verse 36, or verse 37, O Lord, you are God, and you're turning their hearts back again. You're turning their hearts back again. That's what I desire. That's what I pray. That God will turn your heart back again. Today's the day. Now's the time to decide. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. Wholeheartedly, without reservation, giving yourself to Him once and for all. If the Lord is God, follow Him. And you'll never regret it. Let me pray with you. I'm going to ask you in this time of invitation just to respond to however God leads you to respond. I want to ask you to, if that means coming to this altar, then you come to this altar and pray. If that means that you need to go to somebody else, then you go to somebody else. But if the Lord is God, I want to ask you to follow him. Have you been a living life where it's God and something else? What's the bell in your life? What's that thing that has kind of taken God's place in a lot of areas? What's that thing or that person that has taken priority in your life? My prayer today is that as you respond to this invitation, that God will turn your heart back to him again. My prayer today is in the balcony and down here on the lower floor. You'd begin to say, God, I need you. Revive my heart again, O God. Renew and restore me. Forgive me for seeking the bells in my life. Forgive me for running out after something else or someone else when all I need is in you. And I pray, O God, You'd be honored and you'd be glorified and lives would be changed. And we would decide if the Lord is God, we'll follow him. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.